It's time for JT the Brick. I love my job. I love the opportunity that I can come in here and talk to the Raider Nation. Put some respect on JT the Brick's name. The plan was to get this roster with this new regime. They were not keeping this roster, my friend. Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels were not keeping the roster they inherited from Mayock and Gruden and before that. And there were going to be changes, and we told you. Are you with me on that? Excuses die. The record stands. JT the Brick. That's it. That's all we've been telling you all year if you've been listening. They have a plan. I'm not saying it's going to work. It's going to be 100%. But I'm behind the plan. The plan is to get it up to speed where it's really good for a long period of time. You are what your record is. Sound off like you got a pair. And now, JT, the man to miss the legend. Here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you. I barely have a voice today, which is not a concern. I think I can get through this, but... This is the first 30 seconds of a five-hour shift I have today. So check in around 7 o'clock tonight after I do this show. I do Mad Dog Sports Radio 4 to 7. And I don't have a voice because I had a great weekend. And I don't apologize for that. I went to the fight ringside with my son. And I went to the hockey game yesterday. And I think the hockey game put me over the top. It was brilliant. It was fantastic. I went to Journey in Laughlin. That was amazing on Friday. I had a great time out in Laughlin. And, Bobby, make sure we send this to our proud partner at Golden Entertainment, the vision of Blake Sartini, the entire team there, and what they do. They own 64-plus taverns in the Valley here on top of the Stratosphere, Arizona Charlies, everything they do in the community, and the Laughlin Event Center. And I went out there on Friday with one of my best friends and my wife, and we went and saw Journey. We had tremendous access. We spent the night out there at the Aquarius. Had a great time. The casino was packed, absolutely packed. I saw more gambling going on in that casino than I see than most of the ones. I kind of look around here in Vegas. That place was popping, and we had a great time and rolled into the fight. I got a lot to say on the fight. Very controversial, in my opinion. I had Lomachenko winning the fight, so that's something I want to get into here in a little bit. And then Vegas, the Golden Knights yesterday with one of those weird little noon games that typically I don't like, but I fought through it, and we had a great time, and they won. So it was an outstanding weekend. It was a 10 out of 10. It couldn't have been better. My son's back from college. I've been talking about him a lot, and we were able to spend the whole weekend with him at sporting events. Great father-son weekend, and I saw some pretty cool stuff. A lot of celebrities in town for the fight, and obviously the hockey game. The hockey game yesterday was just brilliant. I didn't think they'd win at one point. I was hoping they'd win, but at one point in the game, it didn't look like they were going to get anything going with their offense. They didn't have much going at all, and they were able to win the game and do it in overtime. And what we're trying to do here, again, and I'm not looking for any type of an award or a juice box or a medal. You know, all the little leaguers now get medals and rings. Did you notice that? They get rings now, Bobby. If they play in a tournament, they give them rings, like fake championship rings, and they get rings now. They have to, you know, just can't play in a t-ball tournament. They can't play in a club ball game without getting a ring. How much does that cost mom and dad on top of gas, hotel rooms, and all that? All I'd like to do here in the next couple of weeks is get this hockey city going. Let's get it going. Let's get, excuse me, people fired up, ready to roll, and let's get this city to feel like a hockey town. That's all I want to do. I really like to do that in a small way just to get people to believe from noon to two that we are Detroit, we are Toronto, we are a city that just gets into hockey like New York and Boston and Philadelphia, and it's been tough. It really has been tough. The radio change coming over here, we do a lot of Raiders, 
which is a lot of fun, but it's hockey. It's go time. We're six games away, away from winning the Stanley Cup. Six games away from winning the Stanley Cup. This is a global story as players are from Russian and Finland and from the Eastern European blocks. And we're sitting here with a global sport, and we're in Las Vegas, and we really need to get this going. Let's get going with the early Dallas goal. Gave him a 1-0 lead. I thought Vegas was in trouble. Once again, giving up an early goal at home. And now Kiviranta again out at the right point, across to the left-wing side, and a shot blocked. Still on the right, a drive from Haskinen, deflected into the goal. Dallas takes the lead. Dallas leads 1-0, 2.45 into the first period. Took all the energy out of the building there. They get a cheap goal, it kind of fluttered in, and I'm saying, here we go again. Now, I've been in some games where you give up a cheap goal, and you're going to say, and the guys I was talking to in the press box at the time, I had a gentleman to the left, and to the right of me, we're saying, here we go again, slow start for these noon games. And I'm like, well, there's no, this is different. It doesn't matter if you have slow starts in the past. you got to get going. This is Stanley Cup playoffs. You're very close to winning the Stanley Cup. Your motivation has got to be very high. Mark Stone, give him credit as the captain. He's in front of the net, needed to be in front of the net in this game to pick up a greasy rebound, some type of goal to get Vegas to tie the game up. To the goal line, it's Stevenson. Sends it out in front, score! Off a of Dallas kick right to Stone. He buries it. Vegas ties the game. 1-1 one, one tie. Ten minutes into the first period. Mark Stone delivers the power play goal. He's got six in the playoffs. Dan Duva on the call. That was a big moment for Mark Stone. It really was. It got them back in the game. He got the fans in the game. The place exploded when he scored, and that's what he's supposed to do as the captain. Look, he's not going to be great in every game. He's going to get injured from time to time. He's going to have games where he's faster or slower. Mark Stone's played a lot of hockey, and his body takes a beating. But that goal in front of the net there was really important, and I think it indicates what they need to do the rest of the series. they got to get a body in front of the net. The rebounds are flying, flying all the time. They they probably could have got three or four goals just on rebounds right out in front and no one was home. It was wide open on the back door and there was no one there. Dallas took the lead here, and this is when Dallas pretty much shut it down after that. You could tell they wanted to play with just a 2-1 lead. Robertson right goal line. Saucers it up top for Suter to the right. One-time shot block. Rebound. Score! Robertson on the rebound after the try at the goal line from Sagan. 2-1 Dallas. And at that point in the game, I really thought that Dallas, it reminded me of an English Premier League soccer game where they just wanted to play defense the rest of the way. They didn't, it didn't look to me being there that Dallas did not care about scoring another goal. They didn't. They just wanted to hold on and win this game. They wanted to play defense and just win it defensively, which I don't know why you would do that. They got out of their game plan. They just dumped the puck in, played defense. It was really tough for Vegas to get going in the neutral zone. There was just too many. Dallas does a great job playing the body, not the puck. I mean, forget where the puck is. They just hit you. They're a big team, physical team. I thought they were great. But the pass from, you know, let's get to the Hill save. This was important. Bobby flagged this one because one more goal, it would have been it. Dallas scores one more goal. This game would have been over, and Hill stood on his head. Stars work in on the right. Here's Harley in the right circle. The defenseman centered, tipped on, save. Hill gets the whistle as he falls over backwards, trying to ensure the puck did not squeak behind him. That was a big save. That was a big save. They score right there. The game's over. They're not going to come back down 3-1. And then the Eichel pass, the blind pass to Marceau, was absolutely brilliant. Marceau played his ass off on every shift. The guy plays with his hair on fire. Got to give him a lot of credit. This misfit, being around, what he's been able to do in the past. 
I just noticed from in the press box and then at the end of the game, I sat with my son at the end in the third period to see this guy play this fast. You could tell he needed one desperately. Suter plays it behind his goal. Left wall, Barbashev. Behind Frankly, centered, score! Marcheseau! What a pass! I go to Marcheseau! He ties the game! 2.22 to go in the third period! What a setup! That place exploded then. That was just great. The crowd was totally into it, and then everybody felt like there was an opportunity to go win the game. Then there was an opportunity to go win the game, which was fantastic there. So in overtime, again, I moved in overtime. I went down and sat with my son. He had an empty seat next to him, about six rows behind the goal where Vegas scored. I put the video out at JT, the brick. It was emotional. I had the camera going, you know, up against my chest. I felt like they were going to get something going early in the game, and I was right. McNabb smacks it ahead into cross the line. Stone to the right. Theodore shooting, save. Rebound is loose. They score! Vegas overtime. Another win for Vegas to take a 2-0 series lead. The Flamingos are on the ice. Vegas strikes just a minute and 12 seconds into the fourth period and a 2-0 series lead for Vegas. Dan Duva with Gary Lawless on the call. So that's really the show. There's some other breaking news I'll get to in a minute here. We want to hear from some hockey fans all over the country who's streaming the show, 702-365-9200. I mean, we got a chance here to win the Stanley Cup, everybody. That is just massive in Las Vegas. Today was the first day I drove here to the studio and I felt like it was summer. I felt like it was hot. It just felt like it. They're coming, and they, they got a chance to win this thing. They should win the series. They're up 2 nothing. The only way they'd lose the series if they lose 4 out of 5. I don't think that's going to happen. they got to get a game in Dallas. They have to get a game in Dallas. Very important. Just get one there. I'm not looking for a four-game sweep. This is hockey. This is the conference finals here. But they got a big break with this win. This was a big break for Vegas to get this win. There was no doubt in my mind that Dallas had a good chance to go home 1-1 and we would have played a seven-game series. Now you got an opportunity for a sweep, which I don't think will happen, or win this in five and six and get rest, depending on what happens on the other side. And that other series is amazing. All four games, all four games have been in overtime in the Eastern and Western Conference Final, the first time that's ever happened, which is really cool to see. So if you're a hockey fan in Vegas, it's been a struggle. Man, it's been a struggle to get this working on the radio. I know we got pre-game shows and post-game shows. But other than that, it really doesn't work much in this town at the level I'm used to. And I've been sitting here with no voice trying to pound this thing, get this city going, at least in my job, just to get people excited about the Stanley Cup. Because you cannot be a sports fan. You cannot be a sports city with no understanding of the Stanley Cup. It just can't be. We'll be a mockery. We'll be a joke. I mean, anybody could buy a ticket and buy a jersey. But sports radio is a big part of this. And you got to get into it on sports radio because that's what's happening in the other hockey towns. And, again, you don't have to call. You don't have to tweet. I'm just saying. A lot of people are listening to us. A lot of people are listening to this town. And we've been here from day one on the flagship of this station. We should have more people energized like I am to see a bleeping Stanley Cup in this town in a parade. So do your job, as Bill Belichick would say, and get me some hockey fans in this building and get it going, and let's sound off and get this thing fired up. 702-365-9200. As I open up the show, I always look at a couple of guys to see if there's breaking Raiders news. Because if it's really important, they'll call me the Raiders. But I go to Vic Tafer, Vinny Bonsignor, Paul Gutierrez. You know, some good. Ed Graney, very good here. And uh, Vic Tafer just tweeted out what Albert Breer said, the sale 
of a minority share of the Raiders to expatriate and Bucks quarterback Tom Brady has been agreed to and submitted to the NFL for approval. Won't be done at the spring meeting, but the ball is rolling on it. Brady is already in business with Vegas owner Mark Davis with the WNBA Aces. I always defer, and I'd like to make this official when the Raiders make it official and they put it out. But Vic retweeted it. Albert Breer's really good. He put it out there. And again, um, this is a minority ownership. You have everybody owns minority ownerships and teams. Everybody does. It's kind of common for Tom Brady to do it here in Vegas. I think it has a lot to do with how easy it is to deal with Mark Davis. There's a lot of people in around the sport that like Mark. He's easy to get along with. He's easy to do business with. Look at Vegas compared to Oakland. Look at how easy this whole city rolled out the red carpet for Mark Davis from Sheldon Adelson to, to at the time a man, you know, look at all the, the governor, all the governors from Governor Sisolak to everybody, involved, the politicians here, Mayor Goodman, everybody along the way has been very good with Mark Davis because he's open for business. He wants to do business in this town from Tommy White and the 872 laborers and construction jobs and all of this. So I don't know much about this. I haven't talked to Mark on this topic We've talked about some other ones. We talked boxing the other night. but I, I'm not going to sit here and ask what percentage Tom Brady owns of this team. It's none of my business. If they, Tom Brady wants to put that out, they will. Um, the Raiders aren't going to put that out. But if you have a problem with Tom Brady being part owner, a minority owner of this team, well, you don't know the other minority owners, and you don't have a problem with them. And Mark, uh, Mark's doing business in town, and Tom Brady obviously wants to be associated with, with the Aces and the Raiders as it looks to be going this way. So we'll see how that plays out. If you got a comment on that, and again, as long as it's just not stupid and ridiculous about a guy who's probably going to be a billionaire. Tom Brady will be a billionaire someday with this TB12 brand and winning seven Super Bowls. If it helps him to get to becoming a billionaire because he owns a small percentage in a team, I don't have a problem with the athletes doing business this way. A-Rod owns the T-Wolves. Aaron Rodgers has a minority interest in the Bucks. LeBron James. You know, look, go around the league. Guys are able to do this, and Tom Brady is the most accomplished football player to ever live. And if his name's associated with the city of Las Vegas and the Raiders, no big deal to me. It might be a big deal to you. Uh, your opinion on that matters to me, 702-365-9200 as we continue here in the monologue. And then finally, I went to the fight, the Lomachenko fight against Devin Haney. I thought Lomachenko won. I score the fight when I go. And I thought he won the fight. Haney did a lot of work and a lot of work on the inside, but I thought Lomachenko dictated the pace of the fight. He brought the fight to Haney. Haney was confused. Neither fighter went down. I thought it was a great fight. I loved the fight. It was a chess match just the way they promoted it. They promoted it on the promotion like it was a chess match with both of the fighters standing on a chessboard, and it was. And I thought Lomachenko was the better fighter. The older fighter, and I don't like the decision, as I tweeted going into the 12th round, I could have lived with the draw. I could have lived with the draw for Lomachenko, but I had Lomachenko winning a split decision. And for Haney to win a unanimous decision, that's a slap in the face to Loma. As he left the battlefield, he was fighting in the war, in the war with weapons for his country, Ukraine. And they're in the middle of a war, and this guy comes over here to Las Vegas. And look, I'm not going to say he got robbed. I'm going to watch the fight again. I'm not going to say he got robbed. But it looked like he won the fight. And if you watch the fight, I'd like to get your opinion on this. Because when you're a boxer and you outperform and you win the fight, you don't deserve to get the fight taken from you. And as I walked out of the MGM Grand and we walked back into the casino, most of the fans were pretty pissed off. Most of the fans in that casino corridor were really pissed off 
even though they were rooting for Haney, many of them, the American fighter, I just don't think he deserved to win that fight. And he stays undefeated, and he's a cash cow, and they want to keep him undefeated as long as they can. But I, I thought Lomachenko deserved it, or at least if you gave him a draw, he gets to fight again. And I don't think that Haney should take another fight. He should take Loma again, out of respect. Lomachenko needs to make another paycheck because I thought he won the fight, and I thought the fight was taken away from him. That's the monologue brought to you by PTs. As I said, best happy hour in town, 5 to 7, midnight to 2. Let's get some Golden Knight fans here in the first hour. I'm opening the first hour. Hour number two, Mark Anderson will join us and Harry Ruiz as they kind of join us on Mondays, every other Monday, 702-365-9200. Mikey in Staten, Italy. Start us off, Mike. What's happening? Go ahead. Yo, JT, and you might think I'm crazy. I think this weekend in Las Vegas was one of the top five weekends in sports history in Las Vegas. The huge fight, the Golden Knights never before in the semis, the Preakness, the the Aces uh, defending their championship. It was just an unbelievable sports weekend. JT, you're a big boxing guy. We kind of met through that that Tyson Mm -hmm. Holyfield fight. What was the atmosphere? It looked like boxing doesn't matter how many times they shoot themselves in the foot. They don't make the matchups. But when they do make the matchups, the electricity in the air was just, it was just incredible. And NJT, as the great Howard Cosell says, you have to beat the champ. Uh, did I have the fight? Could it have been a draw one round, the other round? I'm, I'm old school with that. You got to beat the champ. And, and I think it was a great fight. And he's already come out and say he wants to fight Tank Davis next. Mm-hmm. And then let Lomo fight the winner of that fight. I have no problem with it, JT. Mm. I can't. I, I can't stand social media with the with the Raiders saying that there's a problem with Adams. It, it's just. It, mm. it just. It drives me nuts. Have a great day, JT. Yeah, appreciate the call. So first call we get is from Manhattan. Let's get some people on here from Vegas and get going here with the hockey team and what we're talking about. Seven zero two three six five ninety two hundred. Of the Devante situation. I mean, I I try not to, when I look at other shows and they're trying to stir the pot today about Devontae Adams, it's ridiculous. The same people who picked Denver with Russell Wilson to go to the AFC championship game are telling you there's a problem now with Devontae Adams. There's no problem with Devontae Adams. There's no problem with Devontae Adams from what I'm hearing. If it ends up being a problem with Devontae Adams, we'll talk about it here on the radio. Uh, Devontae and his wife seem to be very active in this community. They seem to be happy here. The offense is loaded. I mean, I think Devontae's, Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> excuse me, it's a great player. Aaron Rodgers is an unbelievable player, but this offense is as good as anything that he's ever played for in his life. This offense is loaded with Josh Jacobs. Now, if you say Josh Jacobs isn't happy because he doesn't have a contract yet, I'm okay with that. I, I'd want a, a contract there that's supposed to be negotiating what the Raiders decide they're going to do, offering Josh Jacobs a contract extension. All indications were that he'd probably get one. When the coach and the GM and everybody talks about it, they like the player. He led the league in rushing. They'd like to do something that's going to be smart for the franchise financially long term. But I can understand why Josh Jacobs or Saquon Barkley or other players who don't have a long-term contract don't want to play on a franchise tag. Devontae's making more money than God. The, the contract that Devontae Adams is living under is, an, is amazing. And the offense is pretty loaded with the leading rusher and I think the best receiver out there then they go out there and add a great tight end out of Notre Dame. And Michael Mayer, Jacoby Myers, Hunter Renfro. As of now, everybody's here. 
I think Devontae is going to have to feel pretty good about the fact that that offense should be on the field a little bit longer. I think the offense will be efficient in the red zone more than they were with Derek Carr. That's just my prediction on that. I'm not going too far out on a limb there. Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, is better in the red zone than Derek Carr. I, I do. So that should hopefully get Devontae going. The only thing I, I've said to every Raider fan that I've talked to about this on the record, looking them in the eye, is if it turns out that Carr and Garoppolo are a wash and they're both the same guy, okay. The, the problem hasn't been quarterback. Derek is not great in this Josh McDaniels system. He's not. Jimmy Garoppolo's played in the system and has been successful. But he was a backup for Tom Brady in the system. And then Jimmy Garoppolo went into Kyle Shanahan's complex offense and was very good in it. So I think that Jimmy Garoppolo sees the football field in the red zone and tighter windows better. But he's not a bomb thrower. I think Derek throws a, a better deep ball. I'm just wondering you know, what Garoppolo's going to be able to do in the short passing game because he's going to have just as good of weapons as he had in San Francisco. And all the Niner games that I saw Garoppolo play in, he's very efficient to George Kittle, the tight end, very official to Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. They seem to be able to run the ball and work off a of play action. Very impressive to me. So when we do get a chance to see Garoppolo, we're going to hope that he's up to speed with the playbook because it's not going to be a difficult playbook for him to consume. You know, it could be really difficult trying to study a John Gruden playbook, a Josh McDaniels playbook, a Sean Payton playbook. They're very in-depth, and you need a smart quarterback who can read through it and decipher it quickly. I believe that that's the strength of Jimmy Garoppolo. I hope it is. I think that's why he was brought in. The Raiders didn't want to bring in a rookie here because they got to win some games. Everybody knows they got to win some games. Also, the final thing I wanted to say is, we found out that Jim Brown passed away an hour into our show on Friday, and I'd like to open up this show again by paying tribute to Jim Brown. Uh, we have a piece of an interview that I had with him back in the day that TMZ picked up. We'll play it a little bit later on in the show. But I think it's really important because a lot of Raider fans respect Jim Brown. He was very tight with Al Davis, knows Mark Davis well. Uh, Tim Brown put out a beautiful tweet about it. A lot of the Pro Football Hall of Famers have a heavy heart because Jim Brown passed away, and we didn't get an opportunity to dive into that heavy and talk about it big the other day. So this weekend, I got a lot of texts. A lot of uh, people reached out to me because they know how tight I was with Jim, and we had a long-time relationship together, a good friendship, and I was proud to call Jim Brown my friend. And I knew he was passing away because when I saw him back in Canton, I could tell that he wasn't going to be here long enough, so I said goodbye to him. And I recommend that. You know, you don't want to do that. you got to be in the right place at the right time to understand how to do that. I don't have a lot of experience with that. Both my parents are alive, and they're in the mid-'80s. But when I saw Jim and Canton, you could just tell I knew I wasn't going to see him again. So I had a private moment with him. It meant something to him and me. And I had my peace that night because I walked away saying, if I don't see him again, I know that I was able to tell him how much I loved him and how much I felt about him. He was a controversial figure. He was. He had some transgressions in his life, and he atoned for it. He did. And what he's done in the civil rights era is near the top of the list. He's on the Mount Rushmore. And what he's done in a violent era in Los Angeles to try to stop gang violence, I believe, is his greatest legacy. Civil rights is massive, too. But when you look at what he did, he was the only guy to go into Los Angeles with the Crips and the Bloods, have him up to his house. I was there for one of those meetings. I was in the living room up in his house when that happened. And he, he, he talked it. He walked the walk. He talked the talk. He backed it up. Not many people would do that. Can you imagine an athlete today or a retired athlete today going into the hood in Los Angeles and meeting with guys on the street 
to try to stop them from killing each other in violence. He did it. Not many people did that. So if you're not a big fan of Jim Brown, he made mistakes in his life, but I believe he deserves more than a segment of sports radio today. I hope we get a call from some Raider fans here on the legacy of Jim Brown in football because we cover a football team in this town, and I think some people need to know more about Jim Brown. So if you have a story, if you met him, a lot of people met him in Vegas. He was always around Vegas, always here in Vegas, Jim, for all the fights, and they did a beautiful job. I text Mark Chinook. In the ring, they did the 10 count for Jim Brown because he went to a lot of fights. He was very close with Muhammad Ali and many other boxers along the way. 702-365-9200. We are brought to you by our great friends at Modelo, the fighting spirit of Modelo. Yeah, team up with Modelo, and we'll see what happens. 24 minutes into the show, not a Golden Knights fan. Bobby, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I don't have juice boxes to give away. I don't have T-shirts or koozies. I'm just trying to get hockey fans to embrace how great this team is as we're right next to the flagship here at Lotus Broadcasting. Let them see me. Knowing that they've been told about me all week and how they have to watch out for me and how they have to plan to stop me and gang tackle me. Then I challenged them by saying, this is the guy, man, take a look at me. Here it is right now, 232 pounds, six feet, two inches. I can beat you in a 40 and I got an attitude. And the attitude is you're gonna hit me and I'm gonna hit you. Football is uh, a challenge of men. It's the next thing to war. It's not close to war, but it's the next civilized thing to war. And you test yourself all the time because if you're not strong enough, you'll give it up. It's Jim Brown as we're paying tribute to him today. JT, back with you as we continue on the flagship of the Silver and Black Raider Nation Radio. I think he's the greatest running back of all time. Emmett Smith has the yardage record. Walter Payton, Marcus Allen, and all of it. It started with Jim Brown. No one was more dominant than Jim Brown. He was the most dominant player, right? Tiger Woods was more dominant than Jack Nicholas. Jack won more, but Tiger was more dominant. So you got to look at it that way. Who was the best? You could look at yards and you could add up all the numbers, or you could say who was the most dominant player. Jim Brown changed the game at the level that Muhammad Ali did in Babe Ruth to the point where they were the best, and they were the best by far. They were the machines. They were way ahead of their time. So I look at that. And, you know, that's for me. And, and getting to know Jim and to know how humble he was and how peaceful he was. And a lot of people don't think he was a peaceful guy. He just said it was close to war playing football and how he was able to do that. But he did a lot off off the air. He was a broadcaster at times. He did a lot of things in his life. Movies. He was a big movie star. Uh, an African-American action figure in the movies early in his career. The scenes with Raquel Welch. That was a really pivotal time in the history of this country. And what he was able to do, uh, he was he was just big everywhere. He was a larger-than-life figure. No doubt about that. He knew Muhammad Ali well, just like my next guest, James Smitty Smith. Smitty joins us. He covers boxing. My go-to guy in this town, along with Kevin Ioli. And, Smitty, before we get into the fight, I want to talk about Jim Brown and the relationship with Muhammad Ali and the impact that they both had together when Ali needed help and Ali was out of boxing, and Jim Brown was right there with him to guide him through what was probably the most difficult time of his life. 
Yeah, really, it was one of those that had Ollie's back. I actually saw those two together, too, when I was a kid chasing Ollie around in, in Miami on, on Miami Beach. And I know that he went to Bob Arum, and, uh, you know, Bob ended up getting into boxing kind of because of Jim Brown. And, and I know him quite well, primarily because of my friend Paul Warfield. And I was a ball boy for that 72 Dolphins, Paul used to put me on t- on his TV show, and, and then when I started my radio career, Paul personally called Jim Brown and said, you know, this uh, Smitty's a good guy. And, and any time I would call Jim Brown uh, on his home line for any reason whatsoever, he would always, uh, you know, go on my show to talk about football, to talk about politics, to talk about social issues. Uh, and, you know, so for me, I was saying to somebody earlier today, J.T., He's still, for me, he was like, I feel like we've lost in some ways the face of the National Football League. Mm-hmm. He was that important of a, pig, a figure and, a, and, a, and an ambassador, in, in my mind anyway. And I also think all around he really was the greatest running back ever if you you know he would be the pound for pound he'd be the sugar ray robin yes you know in my opinion that's a great way to sum it up i think pound for pound he was the greatest running back of all time smitty joins us and his boxing history he was in vegas he spent a lot of time in vegas obviously in los angeles he was at big fights in the 60s 70s 80s 90s into the 2000s so we know that uh going to the fight on saturday night i was disappointed because Haney couldn't figure out Lomachenko. Lomachenko, I thought, was bringing the fight to Haney. And it wasn't easy, and it wasn't supposed to be easy. But if you listen to Haney the way you did, and all of us did, I did too when you hear the press conference, Haney thought he was just going to walk through him and trash him and punish him. Why wasn't that the case? Why did Loma give Haney so much problems? Yeah, because Loma, you know, is an all-time great, great. Despite what Haney's done, on my, he's not on my list as an all-time great yet. But he was eleven, you know, eleven years older or eleven years younger, fifteen pounds heavier. And I said for Loma to win the fight, I thought he'd have to have a, a Duran type moment, like Duran did against Davy Moore when he was mm-hmm. much older and much smaller, or Iran Barkley when he was much older and much smaller. And really, Lomachenko had that type of type of a night. But it was not a robbery. As people, I think mm-hmm. the stench of what happened the week before with Tony Weeks and some of the horrible scorecards, Patricia Marsh-Jarman, for one. That stench had not left, and I think also with the shove Mm -hmm. that Haney did to Lomachenko and the fact of Ukraine, everything sort of, he became a sympathetic figure. The fight could have been scored. This is one of those fights, JT, that could have been scored. Two points for Haney, two points for Loma, or as I had it, a draw, and nobody's wrong. It's simply the subjectivity of boxing. And But it, it, my fifth criteria is who was doing more of what they wanted to do. And for, for the most of the 36 minutes, really, Lomachenko was the guy doing more of what he wanted to do because he simply is a better fighter than Haney. He's smaller, he's older, but he's a better fighter. And, and he kind of demonstrated how craft and guile, you know, how much craft and guile he has. And uh, I, I personally don't want to see the fight again, though. I mm-hmm. I would just like to see Haney, our Lomachenko sail off into the sunset. And, and you know, I'm leaving for Canastota in two weeks, and I, I would just like to see him hanging out with me. I He's, he's accomplished everything, and he's not going to do better in a rematch, in my mind. Yeah, Smitty joins us, James Smith. I, I agree with that. I don't have to see the fight again. I thought it would have been fair to give him a draw. 
and to give him mm-hmm. a draw the way he's. And I tweeted that after the 11th round because I just said I thought Loma had the fight won. As long as he didn't get knocked down in the 12th, I thought he did enough to win the fight. And I put the draw into my tweet because i just been to so many fights along with you that I've seen decisions that can go against what I think's happening. And I'm no expert. I'm not sitting there like a judge with that type of background. And, you know, they keep his card clean now. Haney's still undefeated. He's got a win against Loma. Ten years from now, they'll look back and say he beat Lomachenko. And then he'll continue on here. What leads you to believe or not that Haney could be a great global champion? I mean, a dominant champion. We're hearing about Tank Davis here. If you had to preview that fight, if they end up pulling that off, who would you give the edge to? I, I would give it to, to Tank. Because one of the things that happened that I do not like to see is when a fighter gets hit flush enough that his head snaps completely back, that's something you only see off guys that are amateurs, and, and you don't expect it from great professionals. And I know, uh, I know Lomachenko works on precise pursuit angles, getting in these little angles, and you, you don't see the punches. But I saw Haney's head snap back four or five different times. And he's 24 years of age, but he's been fighting a long time and hell of an amateur career, and he's been a hell of a pro. I, I think he's all-time good but not going to be all-time great. And some of those punches that Lomachenko landed solidly, if he gets hit by those shots from Tank, Mm -hmm. uh, he's going to sleep. Schmitty joins us as we wrap it up. So I think this was a good night for boxing. It was packed. I mean, there were people literally in the aisles, in the upper deck, sitting in the aisles. You know how some people find their way into a casino fight. I thought the energy was great. It was a pretty good card overall. The main event came off roughly at the right time there. And it was a good fight. It, you know, for so many years, you and I sat with each other during Floyd fights, and Floyd was dominant, and Floyd was undefeated, but he never put on a show. He rarely put on a show, especially his last 11 or 12 fights in Vegas. They were just dominant performances where he didn't try to knock out an opponent. He was going to win the fight easily on the card, unanimous decisions. And I'd always walk out and walk past you saying, all right, we're seeing an all-time great here, but I'm, I'm not blown away. This fight, at least, I thought they stood in the middle of the ring and fought. And I think Loma knew that he was going up against a bigger, stronger, faster fighter, and he came to win. And that's all I want from an aging champion is someone who's going to put on a show, someone's going to sit in the middle of the ring and bring just as much energy in the first, in the 12th as he did in the first. And I, I, I gained even more respect for Loma. Yeah, he fought, honestly, as well as a 35-year-old guy, the boxing atrophy and boxing rigor mortis I call it call it is set in he's had a lot of surgeries and you know three over 300 maybe 400 amateur fights so he's closer to 40 in boxing years and he went up against this younger guy by the time Haney climbed inside the squared circle JT he was about 150 pounds mm-hmm. fighting a guy that's really a blown up featherweight uh again if I had to just say who did more of what they wanted to do? It was definitely Lomachenko. And we'll see if Haney learns and develops and gets the better and improves. Uh, one of the things he should learn is to not push a guy like he did the day before. I was, I'm so sick of these, all these fighters resorting to the UFC crap of trying to make something, some crazy statement the day before. There's enough statement that can be made in 36 minutes inside a ring. Right. Thanks, Smitty. Good to talk to you, buddy. All the best. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Bye-bye. You you got it. James Smitty-Smith commented on Jim Brown, who we both knew well and uh, dove into the fight. Is it the end of the world that Devin Haney won the fight? No, 
but I thought Vasily Lomachenko won. And I wanted to come on the radio and talk about that. And there have been times, I've been all over 100 championship fights. That's a lot. So I've been going to fights in Vegas since the mid-90s. And at times, I was going to four or five a year. You do the math on that. And then the other fights in Dallas and New York that I've been to in Florida. And this was a fight there that I was happy with. And my son went. This is the second fight that I've been to with my son. And he was on his feet. He was on his feet in the 12th round. And I could see the joy in his face as he was watching boxing. At the highest level. Was it controversial? Yeah, it's tough to judge fights. It is not easy to judge a fight. It is not easy. But I thought Loma did enough, and uh, we'll see where Haney goes from here. Big Al in San Francisco as the Warriors are eliminated and the Lakers are down 0-3. What's going on, Al? Well, I don't really care about those guys anymore because uh, this time on Wednesday, I'll be in Miami sitting sitting poolside or oceanside, depending on what my choice is. And I'll be thinking more along the lines of beach, sun, and the Miami heat. Uh, I'll be there for six days, and I, unfortunately, I won't be able to take a game in because I don't think they're going to be going back there until uh, until the fi- until the finals. So they actually might not have a home game after tomorrow for another two and a half, three weeks. When you look at the calendar, mm-hmm. um, what they're doing is is amazing. But and what I'm going to say, but I'm not disparaging anybody here. Um, this could never, ever have been done in the NBA when the game was a back-to-the-basket game. But when you have a loose, uh, free-falling, uh, undisciplined uh, game where um, some of the better player players are just kind of out there heaving threes and long twos and trying to take over games and not getting five other players involved, um, you know, you're, they're bound to end up losing the Heat, with all of their quote-unquote undrafted free agents and lesser players, as we've been, all been reading and so forth, they win because they have a system that's been uh, taken, built, and tweaked throughout the course of time by their uh, by their lead guy, uh, Pat Riley, mm-hmm. by their coach who's been there 15 years. And I believe this will be finals number six for him, if I'm not mistaken. And seven is a member of their coaching staff. And then players who have bought in and sell that system, such as you know Udonis Haslam, and then going down the line to you know, to the Jimmy Butlers of the world. It's a fantastic story. Mm-hmm. And let's remember that what they're what they're doing here is they're they're disrupting and they're upsetting the apple cart. But if I'm an NBA GM, I'm not so quick uh, to be able to say. I don't need to participate in the draft anymore. This one-time outlier mm-hmm. which would not be an outlier going back uh, to the old time, back to the basket basketball, um, is just that, an outlier. Applaud them. It's wonderful. It's great to watch. But let's keep, let, you know, let's keep yeah. our perspective here. The draft's still pretty important. Yeah, thanks, Big Al. Appreciate the call. Always a good basketball call from you. I'm shocked that Miami's up 3 nothing. Boston, I thought, was the better team. Uh, Miami's much better coached, and that's the difference in this series. Joe Mazzula of Boston. Joe Mazzula is in way over his head. He doesn't have the team ready to play. He pretty much admitted it. Uh, they're not spaced correctly. Eric Spolstra is running the Celtics head coach out of the gym. It's kind of embarrassing. I just didn't have him ready to play. I just didn't didn't have the execute the proper game plan. I didn't put them in the right mentality to be ready. And, you know, it's my job to make sure that they're connected uh, and that they're ready to play, and I didn't do that. Man, that sounds like a coach who's going to get fired. And, Bobby, you're a Boston fan here. This is your team, and, you know, Tatum sleepwalks a lot now. I know losing two games in Boston pretty much was the end of that series. 
because I didn't think they were good enough to win four out of five. Same thing I said about the Lakers. Got that right. They're not good enough to win four out of five. They're about to get swept. But after what happened to your Boston Bruins in the first round, and now to see this, I thought this was a team of destiny this year, the Celtics. They had a lot to play for. I really did, too. I'm, I'm completely embarrassed. That was just the worst lack of effort I've seen from yeah. a team ever. Yeah. It's just terrible. And Bobby's been watching sports forever, and that was terrible effort with so much on the line. I mean, this is the proud Boston Celtics. If you see the Memphis Grizzlies or another team don't play well, in the postseason, but they're a young team. All right, you know, they're a young team. It's going to take them a while. But for the Boston Celtics not to be ready to play and not play with any sense of urgency? I think in about four to six weeks, you're going to find out something about there's just been some kind of backstage drama or something going on in the locker room, and that'll all come out after the finals. Yeah. But there's definitely something going on there. Well, listen, everybody, the reason I'm trying to get the hockey going for all of us is because I'm a sports talk host, and we're going to lose about four to five NBA conference championship games. If the Lakers get swept, which they will, so they'll lose in four. Let's say let's say both series end in a sweep. Okay, that means there were six games left. If both series went to seven games, that's a lot of basketball games. We're going to lose out on six games total in the conference final. What the hell do you think we do around here? We talk sports for a living. You know, I, I, I want series to go six or seven games. Right? We have something to talk about every day. It's sports. We're heading into the dead zone sports radio where it kind of gets slow in the summer we don't treat it that way on this show we'd like to go hard every day but man if, if these series ends in sweeps and we're talking about a week of no basketball because they had to book these arenas for the finals and they just can't say oh we're going to start on tuesday that's not the case and that's why in hockey in hockey i want the golden knights because i have a vested interest i want vegas to be rested and ready to go but when, when sweeps happen this deep into sports we lose out on a lot of time to see more sports. I'm not a big fan of that. Stoner dude, checking in. How you been, my friend? Go ahead. I'm doing great, JT. You know, uh, you, and, you and I, JT, we're from the same generation, late 60s into the early 70s. We got to grow up in a pretty pretty mm. awesome era. And I always refer or defer to my dad when I was a little kid. I asked him, who's the greatest band, Dad? He said the Beatles. I asked, who's the greatest guitar player? He said Jimi Hendrix. I asked, who's the greatest boxer? He said Muhammad Ali. And, of course, I asked who the greatest football player. He told me Jim Brown. And from that point on in my whole entire life, JT, I didn't just take his word all. He's the coolest dad in the world. I had to go find out my own on my own. And, man, Jim Brown changed my life. He changed everybody's life. He didn't only dominate football. He helped change humanity for the better. Mm-hmm. And he left us better than he found us. You know, you talked earlier about him being a, an action hero. I love action movies, JT. I saw him in the Dirty Dozen, you know, in the later on with I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker, mm-hmm. Mars Attacks, his comedy ability, as well as acting. He just, he, no one transferred over to movies like Jim Brown did, man, when it comes to sports figures. So I always remember, speak the name of Jim Brown. Thank you so much for everything, man. Thanks, Stoner Dude. And again, Jim Brown had a break into the movies where African-American athletes were not breaking into the movies. That's the key on that. And the roles that he had alongside... You know, Raquel Welch, the country was freaking out about that when that happened. The kiss and what would happen. That was a really big storyline. Look at today and all the tmz of sports. Imagine if it was going on back then. And some people in this country were outraged by that. And Jim Brown was the guy to start that and go forward and be proud of the fact that he was an African-American actor slash athlete. I just wish he didn't uh, retire at 29 years old. He retired at 29, coming off an MVP. Think of how much he had left. 
think of how much he had left. But a great player and a good friend, and I'm going to miss him terribly. Jim Brown, if you got a call on him, today's the day to do it. We'll get back to the Vegas Golden Knights. And Tom Brady reportedly all over the Internet about to be officially a minority owner of the Raiders. How do you feel about that throughout the Raider Nation? Brought to you by Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence. John Wooten, the executive director of the Black Economic Union, uh, I called him because I wanted him to get the top black athletes to have a meeting with Muhammad Ali to give him an opportunity to tell his side of the story because there were so many rumors about uh, his life and not going into service and his religion. And we felt that if we got the truth from him and we believed him, that we would be a body that would support him. And I felt he needed a lot of support at the time because he was challenging the United States government. It's Jim Brown, his involvement with Muhammad Ali when he was barred from boxing. Really a huge moment in the history of civil rights and sports and what it meant to Jim's legacy. JT, back with you. We're giving uh, Jim Brown today a tribute show. Anybody want to call in on him today would be the day to do it as we continue on here. I'm on tonight on Sirius XM. Uh, Warren Moon will join me tonight, and we'll probably replay that. Uh, we're off tomorrow for the Aviators again. Man, the Aviators are on a lot on this flagship station here. So uh, when we'll be back on Wednesday. I'm involved with the Raiders' official golf tournament. They're only one of the year. I'm, I'm part of that. And then we got big shows on Thursday, Friday. We're also going to host the Raiders' roundtable are coming up on Thursday, so that'll be new content that we have here. Covering Jim Brown, the Vegas Golden Knights, and reportedly Tom Brady on the verge of officially becoming a minority owner of the Las Vegas Raiders. Hardcore Raider, you're up next. Thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Hey, JT. I want to talk a little bit about hockey and then something about Jim Brown. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, you've really got me excited, honestly, about hockey. Over the last few years, I've gotten into it. I was able to go to a golden knights avalanche game um you know and i knew right then uh that the golden knights were going to be a special team uh this year um you know the people that you know maybe aren't as involved uh, in hockey as i've gotten you know there's a lot of other sports people get excited about but the way i look at hockey it's one of the few sports left where there's like real men in my opinion and i'm not a fan of a lot of other sports and how they've changed you got guys like lebron james that gets his uh wrist tapped and he goes flying 15 feet you should win like an Academy Award, uh, you know, for acting. And so a lot of sports are just so much different than hockey. Hockey, you can still have brawls. People are checking each other. These guys' legs are getting smoked all the time. So uh, the Golden Knights, I, I just think they have such a chance to really win the Stanley Cup. And if I was in Vegas, I'd be trying to get a ticket and go to that because there's nothing like a hockey game, I'm telling you, man. I, I didn't understand it until I went. I was like, man, this is a lot like a football game. So, mm-hmm. you know, shout out to the Golden Knights. Hopefully they keep it up. And then just one quick thing on Jim Brown. You know, Jim Brown was integral to the NFL, especially running backs. The one thing that he said that always stuck with me, essentially, was something along the lines of no matter uh, what point in the season he was at, that he would always get up the exact same, like kind of slow. Mm-hmm. That way his uh, opponents would never know if he was injured or not. You know what I mean? And so it was like almost like a mental thing. He would be playing against the defense because, you know, he was a hard runner. And, you know, I think we've lost uh, some of that value and appreciation for running backs. Right. Um, but hopefully the Raiders just do the right thing and get this done with Josh Jacobs. So, Thanks for the call. You. Appreciate it. You know, getting back to hockey for a second, 
all I'm trying to do is be a portal, right? So I tell you, if you like hockey, to call in and be excited and go to games because it was very easy for me to join this fan base because they were an inaugural expansion team. If they moved from somewhere else, I would not have been a fan of this team. I would have enjoyed it. But if this was like the Atlanta Thrashers or this is the team coming from Winnipeg, it wouldn't have worked. The fact that they were Vegas born, which is in the hashtag of all the tweets, is the reason why I want to see this team win. It brings me a lot of joy to go to a hockey game. I grew up with hockey. I love the sport. And when you, it's very rare that you get this deep into the playoffs. Very rare for a young team like this. Young franchise, not a young roster. So we got to take advantage of it. It could be 15, 20 years in between another opportunity like this. Hopefully not because they're built correctly. But you got to take advantage of it. We are thrilled to be brought to you by the DeCastaverde Law Group, 702-222-9999.